0: Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Can we flex together? Oh. <laughs> Good-looking stuff. Good to see you. I still remember the day my senior year in high school when uh, back in the day, I don't know how they do it now, but back in the day they had intercom systems. You guys old enough to remember this? Intercom systems, make an announcement for the whole school. Well, it, it came over the intercoms. Uh, I've forgotten the guidance counselor's name, but just, the guidance counselor would like to see Jim Wall in her office. That's never good. That's not a good thing. And so I got up and left the class I was in. and went down to her office dreading what I was going to hear. And I walked in and sat down in her office, and she said, "Um, I see leadership in you. Wow, that's not what I expected to hear. She said, and you have the voice of a public speaker. And I said, well, thank you, I guess. And then she said, "Uh, but I need to tell you that the principal has put you on his blacklist. And uh, his patience is gone with you. And, uh, and one more infraction and you're going to be suspended from school. And, uh, and I went, that's what the meeting was really all about was to tell me that. But then she, went, she came back and she said, uh, but here's what I, I would like to do. I would like for you to represent our school in the Vocational Industrial Clubs of America public speaking competition. That's not what I expected to hear. She said, you know, with competition and, and, and you would go out and, and you would do public speaking and, and I would help you build the message or the, the speech that you would give. And so I accepted the responsibility of that, wound up winning the regional competition, won the state competition, placed top ten in the nation uh, in that VICA, Vocational Industrial Clubs of America kind of thing. Uh, but uh, I, I said that to say this, I hadn't even come to Christ yet. And she planted a seed in my heart that is defined in my life. Anybody ever done that for you? Just spoke that word in season, that word in that moment, and it set the direction for your life. The truth of the matter is we all need people like that in our lives. For those of you that are new, we're in a series uh, that we're simply calling Confidence, How to Live Confidently in an Insecure World. And what we've been talking about is this road to become the confident people Uh, that we need to be in order to accomplish what, quite frankly, our nation is screaming for, to be the kind of people who bring help and hope to the nation. So, so far in the series, just to get our wheels turning and to catch you that are new up, uh, we've been talking through Romans chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, present your body. So, we said that the first step to the road to confidence is to give your life to Christ because he's the only reliable source of confidence. The culture says, you know, put your confidence in how you look or what you have. And what you've accomplished, but all of that stuff is, it it, it passes, it can be taken away. And so your confidence has to be built in a reliable source, his name is Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 2 then says that we are transformed, we're changed into new people, these confident people, by the repatterning of our thinking, by changing the way we think, and so we begin, we go down this journey having given our lives to Christ, we go down this road of, of, of beginning to think not how the culture has told us to think or how the bully on the playground of the third grade told us to think, but how Jesus tells us to think and, and to think of ourselves not based on the negative self-talk that we tend to do to ourselves, but in fact, we start living for an audience of one, and in so doing we begin to change. Then last week, we looked at verse 3 that talks about when you do those two things, give your life to Christ, let him be the foundation for your confidence, get changed into this person that lives for an audience of one, then you will know what God put you on the planet to do. He will, you will then know his perfect will for your life and you'll begin to fulfill That And so the journey then becomes to identify God's plan for your life. I'm here to tell you that whatever your plan is, and I know there's, you know, however many hundreds of people are sitting in this room right now and hundreds and hundreds more watching online Uh, this week. So far as about 2,500 people have watched last week's sermon that didn't come here last week. And so wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I can tell you one thing about God's plan for your life. It's true for all of us. You can't get there alone you you cannot get there alone here's what the bible says ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 the whole body depends on christ and all the parts of the body are joined and, uh, and held together. Each part does its work to make the whole body grow and be strong with love. So do you see this, the stages uh, that we just talked about, the Romans 12, 1, 2, 3 stages? Give your life to Christ first. He's the basis for everything. And then we begin to repattern our thinking to where we are part of the body of Christ and we're all working together to accomplish. And, and the result is we help each other to become strong. So hold, hold, hold your hand up for me. Hold your right hand up for me. Not that right, the other right. Hold your hand right down. Okay, here we go. Those are your strengths and those are your weaknesses. Point to them. Those are your strengths, those are your weaknesses. Those are your strengths, those are your weaknesses. Got it? Everybody got it? How many of you have strengths and weaknesses? Okay, good. Hold your other hand up. The person sitting beside you has strengths and weaknesses and strengths and weaknesses, right? Agreed? Now reach over to somebody you can find and do this with them. You reach across the aisle, whatever you got to do, link up. What am I saying? I'm saying that, that my strengths make up for your weaknesses and your strengths make up for mine. And the result is we are better together. We could never accomplish God's plan for our lives alone. We are parts of the body of Christ and each of us has a role. In fact, I've got a word for the married couples in this room. If you would stop competing with each other and start completing each other, your marriage would go to a whole new level hear that. Now, come on back. We're going to talk about marriage in the next series. For right now, I want to talk about God's plan for your life and becoming the confident person who can fulfill this plan. So, bottom line, you cannot get there alone. Last week, we talked about Gideon, this insecure guy that became the national hero. Uh, but the journey began. We pulled out some principles from that story. But the beginning of his story was Gideon hiding in a wine press. And those of you that are here, what, what happened? Angel of the Lord showed up and, and called him out, didn't he? The angel of the Lord came and called him out. Much like my high school guidance counselor called me out my senior year in high school. My question to you is, who's doing that for you? far more important to the topic today, who are you doing that for? Who are you calling out? I believe that the only way that you as an individual follower of Jesus Christ can accomplish what God put you on this planet to do is if you link with other members of the body of Christ, and I believe the only way this church can accomplish what God intended when he put us together and planted us in Princeton, Uh, North Carolina, is if we all decide that we're going to not only grow to be confident people, but we're going to help other people grow to become confident people. In fact, I got the sermon in a sentence on the screens. Here we go. Let's bring it up. The whole message today, if you've got to go hear these words, read it with me. One, two, three, go. You will only break through, I'm not hearing you, so let's go again. You will only break through the ceiling of building your own confidence when you start building someone else's. Thank you. There is a limit to how far you can go in your confidence while you're thinking only about yourself. That the only way you go to the next level is if you get outside of yourself and start thinking about the people that are around you and not just become a confident person but become a confidence person. Builder. So the two things I want to do in our time today is I want to show you what a confidence builder looks like. I just want to give you four little things that, that, I've, I, that I've seen confidence builders do over the years. I've tried to do myself and, and we're going to have some fun with it. I'm going to ask you to evaluate yourself. Okay, Rate yourself. In fact, get a piece of paper right now. You can use your phone, get your notepad, go to the Bridge NC app if you want to and pull up the notes there. But by some means, write it on your hand. I don't care. But we're going we're gonna to rate ourselves this morning and get a sense of how we're doing in becoming these confidence builder kind of people. And then I'm going to save some time at the end uh, for us to talk about how do we do that here. Those of you that know me know my pet peeve is for a preacher to tell me what I ought to be doing and not tell me how to do it. And so we're going to talk about how do we do that here at the bridge, and I'm going to introduce a whole new thing that, quite frankly, we've been working on for months and months and months, seeking the Lord, working together to get developed. And so I think it's going to be exciting things for us in today's aid. Okay, so you ready to get into it? What does a confidence builder look like? I think there are at least four uh qualities of a confidence builder, let's talk about them and rate ourselves. First of all, confidence builders give personal challenges. Confidence builders give personal challenge. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that's exactly what the apostle Paul was doing for the church at Ephesus when he said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's he doing? He's challenging them. He's putting out a personal challenge that says God made you on purpose. You ought to live up to it. When, he, when you were in your mama's womb, he shaped you specifically to accomplish these things. All the days of your life, what were written in his book, Now you ought to be living up to the calling. You ought to get out of the consumer mode and, and out of the, the comfort zone mode and stretch yourself to become everything that God has called you to be. I can't tell you the number of times that people have said to me over the years, Jim, you, you, you just can't get people to make commitments anymore. You ever heard that one? I won't ask you if you've said it. You ever heard that one? You just can't get people to make commitments anymore. You you can talk about challenges if you want to. You just can't get people to do it. I have a deeply theological word for that. <laughs> Baloney. It simply isn't true. I, I, I work with churches all the time. The bridge is a great example of it where there are hundreds, thousands of people that are serving constantly. I mean, in this church alone, we've got... A 1,000 people that are serving on some level or another. There are people giving 5, 10, 15, 20 hours a week on a totally volunteer basis to serve. Don't tell me you can't get people to commit. The problem is not people's willingness to commit. The problem is that not enough leaders understand the principle we're talking about today. None of people coming alongside to say, here's the gift I see in you. I want to call that out. I want you to step up. I want you to get involved. I want you to live worthy of the calling that God has put on your life. The key is not the person who needs to make a commitment. The key is the confidence builder who comes alongside. Classic example that is familiar in American history, certainly in my lifetime, some of you remember it well, others of you not so much, but the Green Bay Packers in the early days of, of uh, football, professional football in America, from 1946 to 1958, lost 75% of their games. In fact, 1958, they lost 90% of their games. Th- they were horrible. They were, they were worse than the Panthers. I mean, they were, <laughs> okay, they were worse than the Redskins even. I mean, they were really, really bad. And, and something changed so that in 1959, they won 75% of the games. Anybody know what changed? Same players, same fans, same stadium. What changed? A confidence builder came in to coach them. A man who believed that character had more to do uh, with success than playing ability. That heart had more to do with talent. And he came in and he called them out. He said, this is a football. And he started from scratch. And he called them out. And Vince Lombardi became the winningest coach of his day, to this day, one of the winningest coaches that's ever been. Because he understood something, that people have it in them. We all understand that there's more to life than get up, go to work, pay the bills, retire, and die. There's got to be more. Please tell me there's more to life than that. We understand that we're not just placeholders for a few years and we move on, that there's got to be purpose and meaning. But at the same time, we all need somebody to inspire us, to call us out in order for us to step up and do that. Let me just say this and we'll move into our ratings. There is somebody, lean in, I want you to hear this. There is somebody in this church right now that's waiting for you to inspire them. So rate yourself. Do you give personal challenges? I didn't ask you if you were personally challenging. That's <laughs> do, do do you give personal challenges? If you say, ah, it's too much bother, I'd rather just do it myself. Give yourself a one, you're at the left end of the scale. Okay? That, if that's where you are, be honest with yourself. It's the only way you grow. If you can say, well, you know, I see value in what you're saying. I, I, you know, I'm just not sure I have the confidence to do that. I could ever actually do that with somebody, then give yourself a two, three, four, depending on how close you are to actually, at least you're thinking outside yourself. If you can honestly say, I'm constantly looking for ways to help the people in my sphere of influence to discover their gifts, to discover their purpose, and I'm calling them out to step up, I'm challenging them, then give yourself a 10, somewhere on that scale, rate yourself, write that number down. We'll come back to it in a minute, okay? Confidence builders give personal challenges. Second thing confidence builders do is they trust others with meaningful responsibility. Not just responsibility, but meaningful responsibility. Not just go for stuff, I don't want to do it, therefore I'll get you to do it stuff. I'm talking about meaningful responsibility. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we who are strong in faith should help the weak with their weaknesses to help them be stronger in their faith. Oh, okay, pastor, I hear that. That makes sense. But What does giving people responsibility have to do with helping them to be stronger in their faith? The answer to that question is nothing builds confidence faster than to have somebody you trust trust you with something of substance. And inversely, nothing stifles confidence faster than for somebody to be overprotective and keep you from stepping up and accomplishing what you're capable of doing. But Pastor, Pastor Jim, I, I love them so much. I'm afraid that if I call them out that they'll stumble and they'll get hurt and, and, and they won't succeed and I don't want them to be hurt, so, so I protect them. I need you to understand something and you to be clear about this thing, when you take responsibility for someone, you take responsibility from someone. And when you take it from them, they never learn how to be response-able. You have to give them responsibility in order to develop their response muscles in order that they can be responsible. Does that make sense? Okay, okay, I hear that, but, but you know... I, They just won't do it as well as I can, and this is really important, and so I I really need to make sure it's done right, and so I'll have to do it myself. They're not going to do it that well. Okay, I get that. It's kind of like a child when you're cleaning the kitchen and and your your three-, four-, five-year-old comes in and wants to help, and they grab the bottle of cleanser, and they start scattering it everywhere, and everything in you says, no! so hard to get this thing clean, and now you're scattering this mess and everything. You Just go play. Just go play. Everything in you says, I, but hear me, guys, if you don't give them the opportunity to learn while they want to learn when you need them to do it, they won't know how to do it. And they won't want to either. They won't want to either. The scariest part of this journey, though, is that, is that if you call them out and you train them, they may actually one day do it better than you. Did I mention that growing in confidence has something to do with getting outside yourself, that maybe dying to self is a huge part of being a confident person? Some of you know the journey that Kim and I went on over the last few years. We were pastoring in Chesapeake, Virginia, and we felt like it came time for us to to wrap up our time of ministry there and, and move back to North Carolina, which is home. And, uh, uh, and so I brought a young man who was one of my students at Regent University and School of Divinity. I, I put him on our staff and, and began to work with him because I sensed there was some real potential in Michael. And I, and I said, Michael, I, I see the gifts of senior pastor in you. He said, well, I think I might be called to that. I don't know if, if I'm up to it, but I, I think that's my calling too. I said, well, then let's, let's explore it and see what happens. And over a three-and-a-half-year period, we gradually, wor- I worked with him and trained him and gave him more and more meaningful responsibility until finally four years in, I turned the mantle of the leadership of the church over to Michael. He took over the church and, and began to lead it to the next place. And, 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 uh, and after I left, um, they've done disgustingly well. I mean, we should, come, we should struggle a little bit. Come on. I mean, the year after we left, they made Outreach Magazine's 34th fastest-growing church in America. Uh, we never made that list while I was there. What's wrong with me? You know, it's, you know they water baptized 475 people last year. God's doing amazing things in that place, and I'm kidding about the disgusting part. You know how proud I am that they're doing well. Every good teacher wants their student to outstrip them and out go past them and advance beyond them. But that's what confidence builders do. They find somebody, they speak into them, they build them up, and then they release them to go do what they're called to do, and they pray against everything that they will not only do well, but they would do better than they did. So rate yourself. If you honestly say, scale of 1 to 10, if you say, you know, if they can't do it like I can then I'm not turning it over to nobody, this task is too important, then give yourself a 1, you're at the left end of the scale. Have you ever ever thought about um, the trust that Jesus put in his disciples when he said, I got another job to do, I'm going to go prepare heaven and I'm going to entrust to you the salvation of the world? You ever think about that level of trust? And then he said, Oh, by the way, I'll send the Holy Spirit. He'll empower you to do what I've just given you the job to do. You're talking about an important task? He trusted them with an important task. And yes, they reached their known, they'd reached the known world in their lifetime with the good news of Jesus Christ. If you say, you know, I want to trust people, but you know, I'm afraid that I'll. I'm afraid that I'll put too much on them too soon. I'm afraid that I'll, I'll push them too hard. They won't be able to handle it. Then give yourself a three, four, maybe even a five, because at least you're thinking about other people. At least you're, you're being sensitive to, to them, not, not pushing them too hard, not just dumping stuff on them. At least you're doing that. But as you move forward, You know, hopefully your number will continue to grow. If you can honestly say, I never do ministry alone. I never do ministry alone. I take people under my wing. I teach them. Eventually I release them. I get out of their way. And I move on to the next thing that God has for me. Then give yourself a 10, somewhere on that scale, 1 to 10. Where are you in terms of giving away, trusting people with meaningful responsibility? The third characteristic that I see of confidence builders is they give honest counsel. They give honest counsel. The fact of the matter is none of us are perfect. I thought I'd get an amen on that one. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll ask the wives to, to say amen. None of us are perfect. And so just think about your husbands and say amen. That's just what you have to do. None of us are perfect, guys. Not only are we all not perfect, but we all have blind spots. We don't even know our own imperfections. Boy, it's quiet in here today. Is this true? And we have limited perceptions. We don't even understand sometimes why somebody would say that we aren't getting that right until we bump into it a few times. Bottom line is there is no progress without honest feedback. We all need somebody who loves us enough, cares about us enough to hold up a mirror and say, dude, here's what I see. Gal, here's what's going on. Is this the direction you want to go in? Somebody's got to do that for us. Or we just simply stop growing Proverbs 24, 26, Solomon said it this way, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Don't you love that? This kind of idea, it's, it may be hard to hear, but at the end of the day, it's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing because that's how we grow. Here's the other side of it, Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You, you know what he's talking about when he says multiplies kisses? He's talking about that kind of friend that just compliments you every time they see you. That's all they have is a compliment for you. Understand, they're not necessarily being a friend. They're not necessarily have you in their hearts. I cannot tell you the number of times over the years that I grew to the next level because somebody cared enough to look at me and say, Jim, uh, you're blowing it, dude. Jim, I don't think you want to go down that road. Jim, I think you might want to think about this perspective on what you're about to do and, and not just keep going that without thinking it through. Jim, I think you've got a blind spot. People have said those things to me through the years, and it's a huge blessing. It would be hard to hear at the time, but that's how we become who uh, God called us to be. So if, if, if you look at somebody and they're one of those kind of friends that's constantly complimenting you, and you say, how do I look? And they say something like, oh, man, you, you, you look good. You know, polyester double-knit's making a comeback. <laughs> they may not be a friend. <laughs> they may not be a friend at all. Now, I need to give you a little warning, a little side note. Don't have to put any extra in the offering for this one. Here's a little side note. Uh, correction is a powerful thing. It's kind of like dynamite. If you handle it properly, you can shape something. If you handle it improperly, you can destroy something. Does that make sense? And so, we have to be very careful about the way we, co- uh, way we correct. I mean, if you're going to be critical, make sure you do it in the right way. And then every now and then somebody will say to me, well, there, there ain't no right and wrong way. There's just truth. Truth is truth. There ain't no right. we are trying to get all PC on me. you know, the right way and the wrong way to be critical. Yeah, there's a wrong way. Um, and the wrong way has to do with your attitude. The end of the day, it's your attitude that makes the difference. So before you correct a friend, check your attitude. Here's what you ask. Ask yourself, am I correcting this person for my sake or theirs? Because if it's for your sake, you might not be the one to bring the correction or you might not be ready to bring it. Wait a minute. He's being a jerk and my life would be better if he'd quit. So you're telling me not to say anything? I, no, I, I'm saying make sure your attitude is right before you do. And yes, I'm saying you might not ever be the one to say it. Maybe you need to pray that God would send somebody into his life who can care enough to tell him the truth about what's going on. But you've got to be sure that you've got a right attitude and a right heart because if you do it in the wrong attitude, it's like dynamite. You can do more damage than good, and they never learn from what you've said to them. That's why the Apostle Paul said in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, we will lovingly follow the truth. We will lovingly follow the truth. One more time. We will lovingly, what, how? Lovingly, say it with me, lovingly follow the truth at all times. Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, and so become more and more in every way like Christ. Yes, we tell the truth in order to help people become like Christ. We just make sure we're doing it in a loving way. And what is love? It's giving people what they need, not what they deserve. It's caring more about what they need than what I want. So that's the attitude. One more side note, and I'll move on. Uh, make sure that when you bring correction, even if your attitude's right, m- make sure that, that you... Uh, uh, that you flavor correction with affirmation? Go, go back to my high school guidance counselor. I kid you not, I still remember the conversation vividly. How did she do that? Do you remember what I said? She started out by saying, I see leadership in you. I hear a public speaker's voice in you. And then she told me that I was blowing it, that I was messing up. And then she came back and said, I'd like for you to represent our school in this competition. What did she do? She sandwiched the correction between two pieces of affirmation. Here's the rule of thumb, guys. Always affirm the person correct the behavior. Affirm the person, correct the behavior, and you will find yourself going a long way. It's a lot easier to take correction from somebody that you know loves you and they have your best interest in heart when they do it. So rate yourself. When it comes to giving honest counsel, if you say, oh, oh, oh I could never tell my friend what I see or what I actually know because, you know, he couldn't take it. He just isn't strong enough to take it. Then you've got to give yourself a one You're not being the kind of friend he needs. And besides, somebody's eventually going to tell him and it's going to blow him away because you didn't. He may well come back to you and say, dude, I thought you were my friend. Why didn't you tell me I had bad breath? I mean, come on, why didn't you tell me the truth while you had a chance? Give yourself a one if you say, forget it, he can't take it. It's not about him being able to take it. It's about you being able to give it. If you can honestly say there are people that I know I'm in relationship with, and, and, and they've come to trust that if there's something going on, I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to do it in a loving way, but they count on me for honest affirmation and correction. Then give yourself a 10. If that's where you are, God bless you. We're so glad you are a confidence builder. Confidence builders give personal challenges they 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 trust others with meaningful responsibility, they give honest counsel, and then finally, confidence builders expect the best. They expect the the best. If you're a teacher, uh, you probably have heard of of Rosenthal's study. It was called Pygmalion in the Classroom. Uh, some, perhaps some of you have as well. It's been used in military environment, in a business environment, lots of different places since it was done. But it was originally done in the classroom. It was a Harvard study. And, and what they did is they came in and they and they tested a group of kindergarten through fifth graders. And then they uh, totally at random uh, picked five students from each classroom, totally at random, and told the teacher, these are your top five achievers the beginning of the school year. At the end of the school year, they came back and they tested those same students, and here's what they found the students that the teachers thought were achievers uh, were they, they, uh, their IQ points grew 15 to 27 points, and the teachers described them as happier, more curious, more affectionate, better chance of succeeding in life than the average child, and the only change was the attitude and expectations of the teacher because he or she was told that, that they could expect more from these particular children. The study went on to say because the teachers expected more of them, they began to expect more of themselves and they achieved more because of it. What are you saying? People will never disappoint you? Ah, of course they will. The Jesus model for changing the world is recruit 12, graduate 11. I mean, that's just the way it works, right? All I'm saying is that confidence builders believe in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You will always believe in him. You will always expect the best of him and always stand your ground in defending him. Pastor Jim paraphrased, friends walk in when everybody else is walking out. So rate yourself in this area of expecting the best. If you say, ah, how can I expect the best when everybody around me is a moron? Then give yourself a one. You're on the left end of the scale, okay? If you say, you know, I really do. I try to believe the best in people and even when they disappoint me, I come back and say, okay, let me, let me see if I can find the silver lining. I really want to believe the best in people. Even after they disappoint me, then give yourself a 10. You may well be a confidence builder in the area of expecting the best. Bottom line, let's let's score ourselves. You've been keeping score. Here we go. Confidence builders give personal challenges. They trust others with meaningful responsibility. They give honest counsel. They expect the best. So how would you score? If you scored 36 or above, then would you be my mentor? <laughs> would you come teach me? Okay. If you scored 31 to 35, then you're well on your way to being a confidence builder. Probably got some room to grow, some room to grow, but nevertheless, you're doing pretty well. If you're 26 to 30, you 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 got some work to do, but at least you're thinking right. You're, you're at least you're thinking beyond yourself now. If you scored less than 25, then let me encourage you to go back and watch the first three messages in this series again, because you're still on the road of Romans 1, 2, 3. You, you, you got to get confident enough in yourself because only confident people can be confidence builders. And maybe you need to go down that road of building your own confidence in order that you can be a confidence builder. But don't forget that there is a ceiling to how far you can go in the building of your own confidence. And that ceiling is getting outside of yourself and beginning to help others to grow in theirs. Does this sound easy? Does this stuff sound like it comes naturally? It doesn't, does it? Because we are naturally self-centered people. We are naturally selfish people. I'm not talking about doing things that are natural. I'm talking about doing things that are supernatural. They require the power of God operating in your life, which is why we become confident people based on a relationship with Christ, a retraining of our thinking based on what he says, and then fulfilling his plan for our lives. I've got to close. I've got to wrap this up. But before I do, I don't want you to tune out on me because we're, we're in a real practical part of this thing that I want you to get. The question is, how do you do that at the bridge? How, how, how do you become the confidence builder that I'm talking about where you actually have a group of people that you're speaking into this way, that you're giving personal challenges to, that you are expecting the best of, that you're giving meaningful responsibilities to. That uh, how, how do you find that group of people and connect with that group of people in order to do that? Well, certainly bridge groups is one of those things. Becoming a bridge group leader is part of that journey. If you're not in a bridge group, uh, the new semester starts uh, first week of February. Get signed up this week. Get in a group and, and, and start your journey in that area. But also on our serve teams, and all the serve teams that we have across this house is an opportunity for you to do that as well. And so uh, the question becomes, how do you become a confidence builder? Can I I be honest with you, just personal journey? Um, I've been involved in an awful lot of churches, when I ask a question like that, the answer is, oh, that's an easy one. Get the pastor to do it. That's his job, Right. So we'll just find a few suckers, I mean servants, and we'll, and we'll work them until we burn them out, and then we'll just go get another one. Now, you may think I'm kidding, but that's the motif of an awful lot of churches. I'm here to tell you that pastors are human too. We need confidence builders just like everybody else. And frankly, there aren't enough pastors to do it uh, for the congregation because this has to be done on a more personal level. So, in practical terms, let's get real. Moses found himself in a circumstance after they had been set free from Egyptian bondage and they were in the wilderness headed toward the promised land. He's leading. What most scholars say was between one and two million people in the nation, and and God put a a pillar of fire uh, in the sky and a cloud in the sky, and at night if the fire moved, they moved. If the cloud moved during the day, they moved. If it stopped, they set up camp. And I want you to picture that now, million and a half plus people setting up camp. We're talking about a metropolitan area the size of Raleigh-Durham. This is a huge camp. Right in the middle of this, they put up what they called the tent of meeting and Moses would take up position inside of that tent and all day while they were in this encampment, people would line up outside his tent and he would adjudicate whatever issues were going on. He'd do conflict resolution, he'd do problem solving, he'd give them wisdom for whatever circumstance they're trying to make a decision about and all day they would stand in that desert sun waiting their turn to come into the tent and at the end of the day, only a fraction of them would actually get into the tent. Moses would fall into bed exhausted and the people would go home for a Frustrated. His father-in-law came along one day and saw what he was doing and said, man, this ain't good. You've you, you got to do this differently. There's got to be a better way to do this. And here's the instructions that he gave him. Exodus chapter 18, verses 19 to 22. He said to Moses, you must be the people's representative before God and show them the way to live. But... Select capable men, that's not gender specific in the Hebrew, c- 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 capable people, from all the people, men who respect God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. What's he saying? He's saying break it down. Start to create some different layers and different things. Now let's look at the general qualifications first. What was Moses' job? What does the verse say? His job was to... Represent the people to God. How do we do that? We pray. Hear me, guys. The most public thing I do is preach. The most important thing I do is pray for you. And I spend a lot of time every day praying for you. Our pastors on our staff, we spend a lot of time praying for you. It's the most important thing we do. The second thing is show them the way to live. The most important, second most important thing we do is commit to live a life of integrity so that we can show you that it can be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And nobody is above question. So if we mess up, we expect somebody to come and say, dude, you're blowing it. Get this straight because we're committed to this life of integrity. Beyond that point, you start selecting. Here's the qualifications. Capable. They have to have the ability to do it. What's the second qualification? They respect God. In other words, they have a reverential fear of God, some translations say. It's not that I'm afraid of God, but I am afraid not to do life his way because God made the rules. Then there's trustworthy, if you say it, you'll do it. If you commit to it, you'll make your bed hard, you lay in it, you do what you say you're going to do. And then hate dishonest gain. King James says they won't make a decision based on a bribe. Not too many bribes being offered for us to make decisions around here, but there are all kinds of bribes in the church. Things like I'll like you if you do this my way. I'm going to leave the church if you don't do this my way. That's the kind of stuff that can be really tempting to buy into. And he said, leaders don't do that. They don't do those things. Then once you find those people are capable, trustworthy, respect God, and they're not in it for dishonest gain, then you set up a system where some people will lead 10, some people will lead 50, some people will lead 100, some people will lead 1,000. And that's what we've been working on for months and months and months now uh, as we look through not just the Princeton location but all of our locations and our our future locations as we expand, how can we create what's called a leadership pipeline so that you can become a leader in your own right, you can become a confidence builder with a group of people based on the level of responsibility that you feel called to accept. So we've created the leadership pipeline. Go down to the bottom of the chart, you'll see team members, that's our serve teams. So if you're not on a serve team yet, get in one. There's about 1,000 people on a serve team across this house, but there are plenty more jobs to be done. There's always room for you to get involved. Test drive is one of the ways we do that, so you can check it out and see, is this a match? If it's not, then try something else. There's no guilt trips around here. We're just trying to help you find your niche, okay? Then you become a team leader, and and if you're a team leader, then you're responsible for 3 to 10 people who do that thing. If you're doing guest services, then then you might have 3 to 10 greeters, and you're a team leader in the greeters. Or you're a team leader in the ushers, and you may have three to ten ushers, and you're responsible for them. And you take care of them, and you love them, and you encourage them, and you schedule them, and and you replace them. When one drops out, you recruit somebody to replace. That's your team, and you're the leader of that team. Once you have several teams, then, you put a captain over the team leaders. And so you might rise up to leader of 50s. If that's your level of capacity uh, and calling, then you rise up to be leader of 50s, and you're then responsible for team leaders who are responsible for their team members. And then the next layer is what we call ministry directors. So you might be head of all the ushers. A team captain might be responsible for first service first Sunday and team members, you know, so you break it down so that you're you're able to serve, you're able to lead at a level that you're capable of, you have time for, you're ready to commit to, but we can all grow through that system until you're a senior leadership team, which is full-time paid staff, and even location lead pastor. Now, here's what happens. When you grow through that system, you get to go as far as the calling on your life calls you to go, and you know what the next step is. A good friend of mine said his son went to work for McDonald's, and in the orientation class in that, in that, uh, uh, in that new job, they told him, if you want to be a store manager in the McDonald's system, here are the seven steps you have to take. And if you take these seven steps and develop these seven competencies, you can be a store manager in our system. Might not be this store, but we got lots of stores. We can help you be a store manager. You don't want to go that far? Flip hamburgers. Be the best hamburger flipper you can be. You want to be a shift manager? You can go that far. You, you, all the way up the line, you can go all the way to store manager and beyond if you want to. Uh, and so you knew from day one, here's how you progress through this system. No question about, you know, hidden clicks and insiders and outsiders and all the junk. You go as far as you want to go. You go as far as you're called to go. Just meet the qualifications and then start growing through the system. That's what we're about to start implementing Later this year, we're going to start a leadership institute and we're going to train our team leaders across the church. This is what you do as a team leader. We're going to train our team captains. Here's what you do if you're a captain. Whether you're in bridge kids or guest services or or, or creative arts or whatever, here's what team captains do. Here's what ministry directors do. So you'll know your job. You'll have the training to do your job. You'll have the support you need to succeed in your role. I believe with everything in me that if we will do this and do it well, if we'll embrace it, And step into what God has called us to do, we will make a difference in our times. And I'm not ready to give up on America. America needs Christ. So we're past the day of, man, we've got a great pastor. We're past the day of, we've got a great staff. We're in the day of, are you a leader of 10? Leader of 50? Leader of hundreds? Leader of thousands? Because you're leaders. You're leaders in your home. You're leaders in your workplace. You're leaders in the military. You're leaders in education. You ought to be leaders in the body of Christ. It's that simple. We're just rolling this out. We've got work to do. Next week, I'm going to be casting vision for where we're going as a church. I hope you'll be here next Sunday morning because it may be the most important Sunday since I've come in as your pastor. I'm going to cast my vision, share my heart for where I believe we're going as a church family. I hope you'll be here. But for now, all I'm simply saying to you is there are people all around you desperately hoping that you will be a confidence builder for them. So let's go on this journey. Let's make a difference. Will you pray that prayer with me, Father? Thank you for putting those people in our lives from time to time, and I know on a day like this and a place like this, and and, and the hundreds, even a thousand or two people that will watch this message online. Uh, In many cases, we didn't have anybody to do that for us, and we know that we haven't fulfilled our potential because of it. I pray that you would raise up confidence builders across this house. That even as we speak life into one another, that not only we become confident people, we'll become confidence builders. And then use us for your glory. In a day when the nation that we love is desperate for Jesus, desperate for the moral underpinnings that were the foundation of our nation in the early days. Use us. Use the ministry that you've called us to to make a difference. We'll thank you for the privilege. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I do want you to pray a prayer with me. Really... I, 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 as you just pause in this quiet moment, what I really want is for you to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. I've done my best to share my heart with you, and both in terms of confidence builders that have spoken into my life and, and the way I've tried to live my life as a confidence builder. I hope you've heard my heart, but at the end of the day, what I want to he- you to hear is the voice of the Holy Spirit. So here's the prayer. I hope you'll pray it. Holy Spirit, would you use me? Would you make me a confident person based in a relationship with you? Based in thinking the way you know is true? And then fulfilling the purpose for which you put me here. Beyond that, Helping others to do the same. So, Lord, you want to be a leader. You want me to be a leader of tens. My answer is yes. You want me to be a leader of fifties? Yes. You want me to be a leader of hundreds? Um, uh, yes. You want me to be a leader of thousands? Okay, Lord, you're pushing it. <laughs> yes. You show me what you want me to do, Lord, I will follow you. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what their personal journey looks like. I pray that you would use those commitments for the building of your kingdom and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm so glad you've come to the bridge today. I hope you're glad. I've tried my best to challenge you and encourage you and, and uh, call you out to step up, and I hope that you will. Live worthy of the calling that Christ has placed on your life. We've got a guest gathering coming up right outside the coffee shop. If you're brand new and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, please don't take off. Just make your way over to the coffee shop. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee. We've got some of the staff there that would love to greet you and and encourage you, and I'll come by in just a few minutes. and I'd love to meet you and have a chance for us to chat for just a minute. So if you're brand new, if you're new in the house, if you haven't had a chance to meet yet, then go by, and uh, and let's spend just a minute together. Kids Ministries know some of you will be there. You can go pick up your kids in a minute. We'll let you go quickly, but take a minute to do that, okay? Uh, First-time guests, please bring your Connect card either to the guest gathering or take it to the VIP Center. We want to know you were here. We want to minister to you, okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of serving you, of doing life your way and all the benefits that come to us because of it, but more importantly, the benefits that accrue to the nation that we love so much. In Jesus' name and all God's people said Amen. Amen. We'll see you next Sunday. The altars are open. If you need to pray with somebody today, please don't leave this room. Come down here. Let them pray with you. We'll see you next Sunday.